Hi, welcome to Nobody Asked Us, a podcast where two friends try to figure out all the things that fascinate, annoy, and baffle us. So join me, Sanaz. And me, Rachel. As we delve into all the things that nobody asked us, but we really wanted to share. So um, today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to discuss the TV show Mad Men, uh, which we both love. Yes. I am a super fan of it. (laughs) I think I've seen every episode at least like 10 times. Wow. But there will be some spoilers in this show. So if you haven't seen it, just be forewarned. Rachel, for anyone that hasn't somehow watched Mad Men in yeah. years, do you want to just give everybody a quick summary and again? Sure. Um, so it's a show. It takes place. It follows the course of the 1960s. So it starts in 1960, ends in 1970 or 71. I'm not sure about the exact date of the end. But so it follows this guy named Don Draper, who is an advertising executive, and he has this backstory where he's created this kind of fake identity but he's this really suave debonair guy um and it's kind of about the characters around him too i i explain that like if someone tells me like why should i bother watching mad men for me i say it's the ultimate character development show yes where it's not about what happens in any given episode in fact sometimes i'm not even sure what really did happen but i am so engrossed in the characters and their development that I'm just completely hooked. So to me, I think they did it better than any other show out there. Yes. Yes. That's the thing. It's like these characters are incredibly complex. They're very true to life. They feel like real people. They, and, and, and you follow them over the course of the show. So there's um, the main secondary characters besides Don himself or his wife or first wife, Betty, Peggy, his protege, um, Pete Campbell, another guy who works at the agency, Roger Sterling, uh, who's kind of his boss slash partner, uh, Joan, who's the office manager slash secretary, and she becomes much, she becomes a partner later on. Um, who am I missing? Oh, the kids. He's got a couple of kids, his daughter, oh, Sally. Kid, Sally, his relationship. So it's all about these relationships and mm-hmm. the character development. So it ran from 2007 to 2014. It was one of these hallmark golden age of television shows. Um, the reason I keep rewatching it, uh, on one level, it's like a comfort show at this point. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen the episode so many times. It's like one of those things you put on when you don't know what else to watch yeah. and you don't feel like paying attention to something new um although every time i watch an episode i see something new and i think that speaks to how mm-hmm. intricate and layered the show is and like how like how like much attention to detail there is um it's beautiful it's sad it's funny it's very very rewarding overall yeah yeah i love all like you said like you notice it's something new every time I remember one time i noticed a detail they're having like a picnic or something and then instead of throwing the trash away they just like shake the blanket off <laughs> into the yeah, and you're yeah. like yeah shit like that happened like back when we didn't pick up after our dogs and you know like i love all those little like historical details as well which is less about like what happened and more about our frame of mind in those times you know right right so like a big point i've kept in mind every time i've seen the show is like each like every period piece is as much about the time it's made in 
as the time it's portraying. Yes. I think that there are just some like really interesting themes that the show goes into that make it that tie it together overall. Uh, one thing that yeah. we, we've talked about before a little bit, you and I, not mm -hmm. on the pod, um, is the idea that Don, so Don is this guy who has assumed another man's identity, his officer who died in the Korean War, and he just kind of creates himself. And he's always saying, move forward, don't look back, don't look back. And he had this really horrible childhood, etc. That's his backstory. But there's an idea that he is kind of, he's an embodiment of the American dream. Mm -hmm. And there's some like implicit criticisms because you see him kind of fall apart when he like, you know, fails to like integrate his like past self and his like emotional self. And he's just always moving forward and carrying on. I don't know. Sanaz, you have some thoughts yeah. about that. Well, before we start, we need to tell uh, everyone how legitimate I am because I've met John Hamm. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. I am basically an expert on the subject. <laughs> I'm just yeah, 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 yeah. Go on. No, I mean, long story short, I was in Italy with some friends at like a restaurant that's along the water and you effectively have to take like a little boat just to get to the restaurant. And we went for a late lunch. I noticed he was there with his girlfriend at the time. And, um, you know, we were like some of the last people to pay and leave. And so we're basically just waiting on the dock for our respective boats and just making small talk with John Draper, <laughs> which is out of this world. Um, and then I mean, while we're out in the water, like we like waved to him and he waves back from our boat. Oh. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> okay. That's first of all, that's amazing because John Ham yeah. seems like a really awesome dude. He was kind of, he was kind of like reserved. Like he wasn't like Mr. Funny or anything, but he was very nice on yes. the character front. That type of character, that like tall, dark, handsome, suave type of person, I think was still very much the type of person that we wanted to get behind. Do you know what I mean? I think we give mm. someone like that more of a break in the early seasons and then we realize like you're flawed like everybody else. You freaking fall apart. Like you actually maybe don't have as great integrity as we thought. But I just think like that shiny veneer still really worked. Whereas I think we're... Mm rethinking things like that a little bit more in the recent years. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of That's a really interesting perspective. Like cuz like that guy in a show nowadays would be immediately like you would bring up questions like what's up with this guy, right? Yeah, and, like exactly. We didn't exactly. question the the perfect dude as much back then. I think a character like Joan resonates even more for me mm -hmm. of like the super capable person who has to just fight and claw her way to prove her worth. The female characters on the show are extremely important, even though it's called Mad, Mad Men and it's right. ostensibly about these dudes who work in this office. Like it is, I would say almost even more about the female characters and their I think development. So too. I think so too, yeah. Yeah. And so, how they shape the men around them. Do you get what I'm saying? Like you watch someone like Joan maneuver all these men in an office, right? Like mm -hmm. it's fascinating to watch. And I remember there was a line, again, I've, I'm not a super fan as you, so it's been a while, but yes, um, there was a line where some guy was giving Joan a hard time and he's basically like, there's a version of you in every office. Like to, to the point of saying like, mm -hmm. you're not special, <laughs> you know, like you're replaceable. You're not that smart. And I just was like, I don't know. 
I, th there was just a lot of Joan's journey, like wanting to be a partner, wanting to have equal footing, like that, that stuff just really resonated with me. Yeah. Well, so I thought, okay, so the Peggy Joan contrast was set up from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then there was, exactly. so it was like Joan, who's like about, what, 10 years older than Peggy. Mm -hmm. And she, so she's about 30 when the show starts, I think. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of raised in this like more traditional gender roles mindset. And she didn't have the opportunities when she was really young to kind of like make her mark. And, and Peggy also comes from a very traditional background, but Peggy is kind of like the, you know, the modern career woman, like a very early right. version of that. And Peggy like works her way up and Joan becomes a partner. I mean, she's indispensable to the business. They show that over and over again. Do you remember when like she left because she got married and then she came back because they were starting a new firm mm -hmm. and like yeah. she was the only one who knew how everything worked <laughs> so exactly. they called her back exactly. in and like the, the business couldn't run without her but the way she became a partner was one of the like clients wanted to sleep with her and said that he would give the account to them if or he would you know he was an mm -hmm. important vote for the accountant if she did and basically uh, pete kind of pimped her out Mm -hmm. And she was, and she said, "Fine, but I have to be a partner." Um, right. And that's in contrast to like a Peggy, who, you know, was kind of grinding, uh, right? You know, working twice yeah. as hard. And I, you know, I think the difference is like Peggy. This is to me, and I think why I like defend the Jones of the world so much is like they realized when she was gone, they couldn't do anything without her, right? It wasn't necessarily a skill set that's obvious or like a title, yeah. but she just got shit done. And I'm always in defense of people in history who like get shit done. Like I'm so glad mm -hmm. we finally like congratulate Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's like, there's the people who make the big stances and the beautiful words and it's all show. And then there's the people just grinding in the background, like fitting shit together and making sure it's all working and like, there's never like operational heroes out there. And I just, mm. to me, that's a little bit of why I defend Joan in many ways, because like Peggy was like, you give her that task, she's going to grind at it. She has a very specific skill set, And if she succeeds, it will show like there is credit to be given. Whereas Joan can work equally hard, but you never quite know what happened until she leaves. And then when everything falls apart, you're like, oh shit, that person's valuable, you know? So right. to me, that's a little bit of like how they were different, but Equally important, but I feel like historically we undervalue people like Joan versus like even Peggy or Don. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, I think we uh, as people, we value like things that are like put forward rather than things that are like prevented or like kept going. Exactly. Exactly. You know yeah. I mean? Like a pilot does a great job when no one dies. <laughs> right. Right. The other uh, female character, major female character. So we have Joan, Peggy, we have Betty, mm -hmm. who John's wife. I find to be the most frustrating character on the entire show. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, maybe like she, tear your hair out. <laughs> yes, so she's uh, his, Don's first wife. She's very beautiful. She used to be a model, and she's a full-time housewife. And she's incredibly, you can tell, frustrated. Kind mm -hmm. of by, I think, like the first seasons nail in the like the theme of like ennui and like not 
being fulfilled and like anxiety about like not knowing what you're supposed to be doing yeah. and kind of having no control in your life. I think that mm -hmm. that's kind of like Betty's theme is like she has no control. Yes. Um, and it's right up to the end, which super spoiler, Betty dies. Um, <laughs> Betty gets lung cancer. She has like certain things she wants. She's like, I want, you know, the kids to go to my brother and I want nobody to know about this. And everybody violates that, like her daughter, mm -hmm. her husband. And then she has this conversation with Don at the end where she's like, Jesus, like nobody, like I'm dying and nobody will listen to what I want. Yeah. The last main female character I wanted to mention is Megan, uh, mm -hmm. who is Don's second wife. Uh, I like, it, well, there's this interesting thing that happens in season four where Don is dating a woman who's like his intellectual equal. She's a psychiatrist or psychologist, sorry, who like works in marketing and she does like marketing research uh, named Dr. Faye. And he's dating her and she's like mature and she seems like a really good quote unquote match for him. And then the next episode, he takes his secretary, Megan, on a trip to Disneyland and she's really good with his kids and she's really pretty and young. And then he proposes to her and like while he's still dating Dr. Faye, which is a really fucked up thing to do. But um, so that like the genesis of that is important for like who she is. But I think she's supposed to represent in the show some like this like younger freewheeling version of you know femininity being a woman like she's not encumbered by any of the things that the other women are like so mm -hmm. she's not encumbered by the idea of like the role of being a housewife or mother like she doesn't she doesn't have complexes about that in the ways that the other characters do yeah yeah that's a good point i didn't think like i always thought it was like the hot new thing that Don inevitably goes for, but you're right. She doesn't have to worry about all the crap that they do. So mm -hmm. the, the last theme I, theme I wanted, major theme I wanted to bring up was yeah. the, um, so there's a lot, it's, it's earlier on in the series, but they talk about the, like, advertising is like this big, bad entity, like some of the hippie characters in the show, or like mm -hmm. they make references to like how this was an idea going around at the time. And I think because nowadays, in 2023 we are so steeped in consumer culture and yes. you know some of the largest corporations in the world are ad businesses so like google or facebook uh meta sorry um <laughs> like the idea that like advertising in and of itself like the idea of consumerism was once seen as being like corrupt or bad or like morally devastating in some kind of way is very interesting and i think that that's overlooked in a lot of the critiques of the show like i think mm. that that's something that's really interesting to explore I, I read some piece recently that was about like remember how people used to always talk about like artists selling out in the 90s mm -hmm. and now it's ex expected that you're supposed to like, capitalize off things and people applaud it like oh. off your fame yeah selling out isn't really a thing people talk about anymore but then what does what does I don't know, like you go from like commodifying like your happiness or your tastes. And now we're in like a phase where people like commodify themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like not just what you stand for, but your yourself, like your whole yeah. brand. Yeah. Like the influencer is to this point, the ultimate version of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the show touches on that a little bit. 
I think you have to like dig a little bit deeper for like the advertising consumer culture commentary. Mm -hmm. There's this whole movement towards the end of the show. So like the beginning of the show, I don't know if you've, if you've ever looked at ads from the 1960s or before, they're very heavy in text. Like they Mm -hmm. will like, they they will like write you like an article in, in a basic ad. Like they'll tell you a story. It's so many words. And now it's mostly images, very few words. It, a lot of it's like data driven. I mean, most people mm-hmm. who work in the ad business work in like analytics and mm-hmm. like marketing. And they show that shift towards the end of the show where they mm-hmm. like get a computer in the office. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's a villain character who's uh, Jim Cutler, played by Harry Hamlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's like, oh, I want the, you know, I want the computer to like drive all of our business. And there's, there's kind of an idea of like a heroic creative spirit behind the old school people. So like Don or mm-hmm. Don mostly. He's like, no, this is not, they, they'll never see what we see. But of course we know how it turns out. Right. right. Okay. So let's talk about uh, the characters themselves. Okay. So my favorite side character is Ginsburg. Okay. Ginsburg is a copywriter who comes on in, I believe the fifth or sixth season and has a very dramatic exit in the final season where he kind of goes crazy, but he's, you know, he's, he's just wacky and creative and apparently like a 28 year old virgin. (laughs) And you find out he was born in a concentration camp and he has all kinds of psychological problems, but I just found him. Maybe it was the the way the actor played him. Maybe it was, I just found him very endearing for whatever reason. (laughs) I guess who I'd be most fascinated, I've, I've said this over and over, like, Joan to me was the unsung hero of that time. <laughs> and yes. I think I just yes. relate to wanting to see more operational stars out there. Why also, yeah. why was there never anything between Joan and Dawn romantically? Yeah, so, okay, I've thought about this. I think that they're both, like, too formidable for each other so like there's this Mm -hmm. in this episode i mentioned christmas waltz where they have this like day together it's the only time you really see them bond or -hmm. like you see their relationship and uh like later on in the show like she gets mad at him for screwing up the business which kind of makes sense uh but he's like i was terrified of you Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I get that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Of course he was. I, and I kind of love that too. I'm like, of course he was terrified of her. Like she could hold her own. And like, mm-hmm. that was never, he never had no. women who were just no. like, uh, the only other like woman who he, the only woman who he was with, who was like fully in like command of her sexuality was uh, Midge. Do you remember Midge? The mm-hmm. hippie? The hippie oh, yeah. who became the heroin addict and you saw yeah. her again and blah, blah, blah. But she was, you know, there was a reason why he was drawn to her. But, you know, yeah. I think I think I think my theory is that Joan was always just too forbidding and like too intimidating. But like Roger didn't see her that way. Do you get what I'm saying? Like it's, I don't know. This was very I don't know. interesting to me. Age difference maybe? Like Maybe. 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 I don't know. I love that about them. So anyway. Yeah. I love that they never made Joan and Dawn get together because I feel like that would have been yeah. that would have been a terrible arc. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I yeah. agree. That had to be something kind of held back to kind of pique your interest. Otherwise it's like Dawn sleeps with everybody. Joan right. for everybody. Right, right, <laughs> so right. That was right, interesting. Right. So 
Oh, I was going to say, do you have any like moments that you ever think about for the show? Um, I think that that time the guy scolded Joan, like there's a woman like you in every office, like you're not special. I don't know why yeah. but that just mm-hmm. haunts me of like what you think you are versus your perception from other people. Like, I, I don't know, like that to me, just I think about that frequently. Yeah, I actually my my most memorable moment is also a Joan moment um, mm-hmm. where so Peggy fires copywriter who like drew a picture of Joan like blowing Lane another mm-hmm. partner and Peggy fires him because it's obviously that's disgusting and you should fire somebody for that right uh, and Joan was like Joan was opposed to her firing him because she's like well all that's gonna say is that like she confronts Peggy and she's like all that's gonna say is that I'm a meaningless secretary and you're just another humorless bitch mm-hmm. and I thought that was so loaded because it's not meant to be what it said on the nose like it's not meant to like say that what peggy did was wrong obviously what peggy did was right right yeah Uh, but that's joan's mindset right right because back to the comment that guy made is like you can be both things you can you can either be seen as a meaningless secretary and there's dime a dozen of you or you're actually Mm. the person that keeps this show going which is actually what she was and do you know what i mean like both things can be true depending on your perspective. And when you don't have that title and that position or that gravitas, it can be such a slippery slope. And so like someone like Joan has to always watch her back for idiots like that. So yeah. So she's very, I think attuned to actions like that, where, you know, to Peggy, it's a linear decision. It's like, this happened. I should do this, but Joan doesn't see it that way. Well, and she's also she's also used to dealing with men like that. I, mm-hmm, I exactly. Peggy is too in a way, but she hasn't had to like put up with it in the way that Joan yes. has. Yes. I you know what I think about that sometimes in terms of our own experiences, like whatever, the mid two thousand pre Me Too era even. Yeah. Like people would say like pretty like messed up stuff. Right. And, and you either like maneuver around it and laugh it off and controlled it in a Joan way or you took it on head on, right? You took it head on, but you ran the risk of see- being seen as like a scold or just somebody who like was too sensitive or something. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if like, I'm like, oh, do I have, do I have the Joan in me? Which is, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, should I be a little bit uh, angrier? <laughs> Well, I think it's, I think the Joan approach gets, I would say in current times gets criticized more because I think there's an expectation or desire to see people take things straight on and to think, look, we're, we're welcoming you to do that now, right? We're more open as a society for you to do that. But I think someone like Joan, it's not because she agreed. She's not like one of the guys. She just in her way was like, I can get way further if I don't take this head on. Yes. And then when I become a partner, I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can get rid of these guys. But in the meantime, I don't think I'll get there if I take it. Like she was just being, I think in her mind, savvy about how she got to the top to then make the changes. I do love that it speaks to like this show's power that like it makes me question my own life choices. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? Who am I? Am I a Joe? Am I a Peggy? Am I a Joan? Are you a Joan? Are you a Joan? Are you a Peggy? Yeah. Yeah. Or neither. Or neither. 
neither. Because I'm not obviously. a Jackie or a Marilyn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rachel, what would be your recommendation for this week? Okay. So I have a highbrow and a lowbrow. Mm -hmm. Go on. Okay. So if you are a big fan of Mad Men, uh, there are some really excellent and well-tended to Instagram accounts uh, that do like Mad Men scenes. Like these people know the show in and out mm -hmm. and they like make Mad Men scenes relevant for whatever's going on that day or like oh, they wow. just do some... Yeah, they do some really intricate stuff. So one is called Mad Men Picks, P-I-C-S. Mm -hmm. And the other one's called No Context Don Draper. Uh, they just, they're really, there's a huge fan culture around Mad Men, which I am uh, mm -hmm. an observer of, I would say. A connoisseur. Uh, a I am a, I'm a Mad Men con connoisseur. Is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but okay so that's my lowbrow recommendation my highbrow recommendation is uh to to read the feminine mystique by betty for mm. the second sex by simone de beauvoir those are uh critiques of the kind of traditional gender roles of women in, like kind of pre-1960s or like early 1960s so like I think a lot of the role of Betty, for example, was inspired by like a feminine mystique. It's just like basically the mindset of a frustrated housewife, uh, the second sex, a Joan. So it's kind of like men want, want a certain type of woman, but they don't mm. uh, articulate it. And this is like the ways that women are put into boxes that are unfair. It's, it, it was written in 1949, but it is a classic. And then the other bookend to this period, I would say, I have a copy of this. It is so kind of funny, but also strange. It's called Sex and the Single Girl by <laughs> Helen Gurley Brown, who was the founder of Cosmo, Cosmopolitan Magazine. Hmm. And she writes about like, what one must do, like the rules for living life is a single gal, which was considered to be like, a, like a revolutionary concept at the time obviously like it wasn't in practice but like the idea of like a thriving single gal who doesn't like well she actually doesn't say you don't need a man she actually is like you must you need a man at all points in your life which is one of the other quibbles with it but it's a very like so that gives more insight into the like the later stage peggy's and the megan's and the it, it kind of fills in color for the this is so this yeah this is written 72 for the cultural context in which like the later stage women exist and i you know i think when when watching the show i've only recently started to like understand like the concept of don for like the kind of repressed person that he is uh but i i think i always identified a lot more and like understood a lot more the women's trajectories so mm -hmm. if you want some like historical background on them mm -hmm. those are some great reads nice uh, yeah what about what about you Sinas? i'm gonna recommend one book called the culture code written by i'm gonna butcher this Clotaire Rapay. <laughs> yes yes um he's a french cultural anthropologist and a marketing expert and I just thought of this book related to the theme of today, just because um, 
what he does is he goes around the world and helps companies figure out how they can market in new countries based on the cultural context in those countries. And I just oh, think like, fascinating. yeah, that's like fascinating. The, the depth of the conversation just reminded me so much of the nuances of the conversations that had been about like the psychology behind why someone buys something or how they can pitch something. So I just, it really reminded me of that. And the book is great because what he'll do is he'll have like seven or eight quotes from people like in a certain country. And let's say like, ultimately the product is to sell makeup, right? But in those quotes, you have to try to figure out what the common thread is or the theme is. Ooh. And it's just so fascinating. So like a typical example, Legos, right? In Europe or in Germany, they were selling Legos kits like hotcakes because what German kids would do is they would look at the instructions, they would build the model exactly as it was said. And then when they were done, there's no pieces left and they can just like put that, you know, Lego configuration on their like fireplace mantle or mm -hmm. something, right? And now the mm -hmm. parents gotta go buy another kit, right? Whereas American kids, they like get the kit, they just throw <laughs> the instructions away. They don't even give a shit. And they would just build, destruct, build, destruct. So there was never a need to, to buy another set because the kid was being creative and just wanting to build and destruct with the same kit. And so what they had to figure out was to only put certain pieces in certain sets to force the parents to buy multiple sets of Legos so they could have greater sales. And just Ooh. like understanding like the American obsession with like freedom, like, you know, like I do things my own way. Like it just was really fascinating. So there was a lot of interesting things and it touched everything from like sexuality to our concept of like selves and religion. And it was a very, very good book and I highly recommend it for people. But my favorite part was reading those quotes. And then before I get to like his explanation of the theme, like trying to guess it myself. Um, but yeah, it just reminded me a lot of like the incredible like pitches in Mad Men when they were kind of selling the product and that like emotional feeling you had around it. I don't know. It just was so great. So that was yeah. my recommendation. The culture. There's a different book that's more popular, but make sure it's by this French author, Clotaire Rapal. Do you, do you want to spell it out? R-A-P-A-I-L-L-E. Clotaire Rapail. Rapail. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wait, that's really great. That makes me want to actually like go and buy the book right now. It's so great. It's so great. It. It's like old marketing stories from like the 90s and 2000s, but the lessons are so relevant. Cool. Well, thanks everyone. This was fun. This was really fun. All right. See you next time, guys. Bye everybody. Bye.